manipulate the price of gold and silver. But all that money printing that they've done has flowed into the only non-manipulated currency in the world, and that is Bitcoin. I think this is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. Once in a while, you can Bitcoin changes absolutely everything. What's in there? Only what you take with you. Before we begin today's show, just a small announcement. Australia is having its first Bitcoin-only conference, Bitcoin Alive, on the 15th of April in Sydney. Uh, so yeah, you can use the code HONEYBADGER, that's H-O-N-E-Y-B-A-D-G-E-R, to get a 10% discount on your tickets. Moreover, if you do end up using the code, send me a screenshot, and I'll send you 5,000 sats over lightning. Hope to see you there. Hey Eric, thanks for making the time, and yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited yeah. to, to be here and get, get chatting. Yeah, yes. How about we kick it off with a bit of an introduction, a background about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Eric Kaysen. I've been involved with Bitcoin since about 2012. Uh, in 2013, I started working at Coinbase. Uh, I was at Coinbase from 2013 to 2017. Uh, and that whole time, I was, I was always really fascinated with Bitcoin, but I feel like I was... I was that was like my undergraduate degree. Right. Left Coinbase in 2017 after the block wars. Um, yeah, I was just really, I felt like I had really deepened. Oh, well, shit. Uh, sorry, I distracted myself by breaking my glasses. Um, <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> it's okay. Well, anyways, I guess I don't need to see to do any of this explanation. But so at that point, I was just deeply intrigued with, you know, what, What's really going on here with Bitcoin? Like, how, how and why does it seem to be affecting people's actual being itself and, and how they show up in the world? And so that led me down sort of a path of I, I've wrote a whole series of different essays that I'm now compiling into a book, um, which for me is really sort of the foundational questioning of Bitcoin that I feel like sort of leads to what the next uh, approach and sort of topic that project that i'll really be working on um and yeah it's been great because i i think it was really around uh 2019 2020 that i started meeting other bitcoiners who really felt the way that i did um and it was it was really phenomenal to get to have the experience of meeting and sharing with them and watching myself and them grow and uh yeah now i feel like we're at this uh pretty interesting crossroads which i'm i'm happy and intrigued to see where it's going to go yeah so you said you started early like around 2012 2013 with coinbase yeah i was, I was hired at coinbase in, in late 2013 and i was there for four years yeah and if you don't mind like what was your educational background is it was it in computer science or nope nope i was a, i was doing support for them and then eventually right. i was a support manager and then 
I was kind of managing the whole division of individuals. So yeah. my, my background is uh, I have a degree with a, a minor in history and my focus was in international relations. Um, okay. And I started a master's degree, but I was booted out of that program pretty quickly. So, yeah. Okay. Really, yeah. And, and at, at that point, like Coinbase was still like, I mean, it was still a, like, was it a, a casino back then or was it just Bitcoin? No, it was Bitcoin only for quite yeah. a while, um, probably until 2015, maybe. Yeah. And uh, Charles Lee, you know, he, he made Litecoin, so he had a pretty good case to make for listing Litecoin and doing it. Um, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, Brian, pretty early on, he was really focused only on Bitcoin. Um, but something changed kind of kind of midway through. And I think. One with the development of Ethereum, two with kind of the the whole development of what ICOs became. Yep. Um, I think I think that all changed, and I also think that that's why we know and understand who Bitcoiners are today. Like I I think the ICO boom w was really important to define who Bitcoiners are yes. versus everybody else in you know crypto. Yep. Yep. And, and your and your personal rabbit hole journey, like how like how did you yeah. When did like what I'm trying to get is like when did Bitcoin really click for you? Was it like back in 2012 or closer to during? The uh, in 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 2012, you know, like what you know, I first heard about it from some random masked anarchists at Occupy Wall Street. Um, and then you know, like I had a few more touch points, and then I think I read like a Wire article, and I was like, okay, this is really interesting. And something clicked for me when I realized that uh, people were doing remittances to China, like outside of the banking system. And I was like, this is super interesting. Cause like mm -hmm. I knew at that time, sort of how draconian uh, trying to get money in and out of China was. So it was, yeah. I was pretty fascinated by that. And that led me down, you know, I, I guess what we could call sort of the, the contemporary rabbit hole of being curious and reading more about monetary economics and the background of money and its history and uh, other topics and philosophy as well. And I think it was really in about 2015 that I feel like then I really fell down the rabbit hole. Um, yeah. And I just, I had a psychedelic experience where kind of at the back end of it, I was, you know, my putting all of my brain back together and I was just really yeah. like meditating deeply on the questions of, you know, like what is value? What is money? Like why does cryptography seem to be able to maintain this oath to itself that like nothing else mm -hmm. is capable of? Um, like as I meditated more and more on that, like I like my mind was seriously blown, and I was like that like this, if this truly is the logical concourse of thought about what it means to be a being in the twenty first century with all of this advanced, sophisticated technology, and that like this is the technique towards creating that oath and securing it, I was like this. This seems like it might be one of the most important events in human history, which sort of led me down this very long path of reading, you know, like I, I have this entire bookshelf full of just philosophy texts. Um, wow. and I haven't read them all, but, you know, like the, it's it all are various components and things that have all fed back and helped me because pretty much anytime I had a question, I always gave myself permission to like pursue that question as far as I could, then find the experts on the topic and then yeah. essentially like data mine that topic and like move on or see where, you know, usually would open several other doors. So, yes. and it's been that process pretty repeatedly until recently, it's actually started to like 
narrow itself down all the way, which has been fun. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, yeah, you wrote an interesting piece about how the word crypto has been hijacked. Oh yeah. The encrypted meaning of crypto. Yes. And yeah. Can you elaborate for the people that are listening on that? Like why do you, yeah. So, <laughs> so like, I, I, yeah, I'll go on my little diatribe. Um, <laughs> so first of all, like the word, the word crypto itself is just a, a, a prefix. Like it's, when we use it in normal conversation of slang, is that like, oh, that guy's like into crypto. We all know that we're talking about the greater cryptocurrency ecosystem, but it goes to show sort of how lobotomized the term itself has even started. Cause like that, that prefix means secret. And actually more accurately, it means like I conceal. And it comes from Kryptos, who is like the, the god of uh, like non-linear, non-homogenized time. Uh, sometimes the god of luck. Uh, sometimes I've also seen as like the god of sort of space or sky. Um, but anyways, the, the, this term is really interesting because uh, I, I really like it because it muddles and confuses things even more, which I think is important because like, to me, the crypto guys are like the truest anarchists that ever were because like they're out here, you know, uh, like minting NFTs and like launching their shit coins and doing all this other garbage, uh, which is actually like the greatest distraction ever for Bitcoin. Like, look at what's going on right now. Like, it's pretty right. funny that the SEC is like literally being like, fuck everyone except Bitcoin. Mm. And I mean, like that, that is a particular affect of of them like running off and us being like oh oh yeah like you don't need proof of work for your coin huh like that sets an awful awful lot like a security huh wonder wonder how that's gonna play out you guys and like oh don't worry it's gonna be fine and i mean like the the state is very slow but like once it sort of gets its momentum going you know good good luck um with that being said i never want to applaud the state uh, assaulting anybody so like fuck them universally um, but I think that it has been a great distraction. Uh, and meanwhile, these guys have been like permeating and pushing out uh, sort of core principles of decentralization and cryptography without really thinking it through at all. Just being like, no, like, you know, like make some money, man. It'll be, it'll be great. And then like, meanwhile, yeah. there's like a whole subset of these people that orange pill themselves because they go, well, what's, what's with these Bitcoiners and like pedanticness about like not wanting to control money and like, they all seem to really like hate governments for like some reason. And like, I get it. Like I'm, I'm not a fan of the government either, but they do some right stuff. And then we like cram the black pill in them and they're like, Oh shit. Okay. Like I get, I get why you guys like Bitcoin and what you need to do. Um, so that essay goes on further, just pretty much saying like all of these VC and blockchain bro idiots who like don't know what they're doing as much as like we find them embarrassing and upsetting. Like what, what they're doing has an important role and it's, and it's like not for them to be the good guys, but it's for like them to be the distraction to like, let us go do our thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, and going back to the uh, psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you're saying a psychedelic experience, was it like through ingesting? Yeah. It was 250, mil yeah, it was okay. 250 milligrams of, of, of LSD. Right. Not milligram, micrograms. Micrograms, Sorry, milligrams, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay so that's okay. That's quite a bit. Yeah. So that's like what? Uh, I mean, assuming it like that's like two hits. I'm guessing. I don't know. Maybe two. Yeah. Like, yeah. That would be yeah. like two two good hits. Yeah. Two good, really good hits. Yeah. And 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 yeah, you're... So the same amount that Albert Hoffman did the first time that he ever okay. did. Okay. Yeah. 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 Dose. 
Mm-hmm. And you did it with an intention, or you did it like we did it an intention to question the like to go down the rabbit hole per se, or you did it as a casual? No, thing that... I mean this was. I want to say it was a casual thing, but it's yeah. uh, you know, I I I that's been my healing process. I was going to think about Bitcoin because oh, I'm always I, thinking so, about Bitcoin. Eric, I, I lost you there. A bit. You're saying oh, that sorry. was your healing process, and then I, yeah, I lost you there. Yeah, but sorry about that. Uh, no, that's fine. But yeah, so so that was my healing process of, of, and I was pretty early on in that process of, you know, where really it's just creating a set and a setting that's going to be kind and friendly and accommodating and allowing for myself to have whatever experience comes up. Yeah. Uh, and and like I was already you know working and involved in Bitcoin quite heavily, so like I knew I was obviously going to think about it, and I was obviously mm. fascinated about it. But it was because uh, I had started reading more philosophy at this point in time, yep. which was like having me starting to question stuff more. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was really just sort of deeply meditating on the question. And like yep. I and I think it's interesting because I feel like most people don't don't understand what meditating a question on a question is to like ask it repeatedly and mull over it over and over. It's, it's sort of a hard and different thing that I feel like not a lot of people do. And I feel like this was very early in my process of doing that. Um, and I just kept, for me, it was as I continued to sort of mull over and over this question, allowing for it to take me deeper and deeper, you know, like, um, and that sort of led onto my concourse, and you can see in my essays and writing sort of my my general direction and development uh, where, you know, eventually I get to a place where I start to realize that, like, there's a very deep uh, political philosophy at play in Bitcoin and its encrypted nature is part of that. Like, there, there's a reason that, like, Bitcoin, well, I mean, Bitcoiners do it and Bitcoin can't. But, there, like, there's a reason that Satoshi Nakamoto didn't come out and say, hey, this is probably going to be one of the most powerful things to yep. challenge governments in human history. And like, there's a reason why when WikiLeaks got on the page that Satoshi was pretty much all, like peace the fuck out, yes. you know? Um, yeah. And so that being said, like, I, I think that there's something really important and profound going on here. And uh, most people are cut off from it just because like, we don't, we don't even know how to like think about anything important or profound anymore. Like it's, it's part mm-hmm. of the general affect of nihilism and the, inability for us to get beyond almost the pleasure principle right right and that's to do with like that's to do with the attention spans being shortened with like stuff like tiktok and instagram as well right like and people oh absolutely i mean yeah it's uh it's information overload and dilution uh like in a really extreme way like you you Mm -hmm. You figure somebody who lived in the 17th century, like the the amount of new information that they encountered per year was about the size of, of like a small like newspaper page, like front and back. Right. You know, so like thinking yes. that like we're encountering fucking a million fold times information inputs on that, you know, uh-huh. and so like that, yeah. that's going to fundamentally affect us in, in a very different and extreme way, which I think goes back to that idea of like meditating on something and being able mm. to pour over the same question over and over, which was much more accessible when there wasn't, you know, 10,000 things coming at us all the time. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yes. And yeah, going back to the books that you uh, like, can you uh, like, what sort of books, any name that pops that sticks out that you really like helped you in this process? 
Yes, and, and I'll name them. I, I think it was particularly helpful for me just with the particular questions that I was going after. Yeah. Um, so Giorgio Ambigen, he's an Italian philosopher. He was a student of uh, Martin Heidegger's. Uh, he's, he's very well known in continental philosophy, and he has a whole series called the Homo Sacur series that deals with this idea of uh, the sacred or the forsaken man. It depends on how, how you're reading the word, but it's the idea of that there's always been these individuals throughout human history that have been outside of the purview of the protection of the gods and the protection of law itself. Okay. And so they've always been able to be readily and openly killed without it being called murder. And mm. so like, he's trying to figure out like what, what is it about there always being a group that can be killed and like why is that appropriate and like how has that affected our general development and then he did some really great analysis of like the holocaust and the development of the security state and that stuff wow. so he's been and and it's funny because it's it's really been a lot of leftist thinkers that originally helped me um because like mm -hmm. my background is you know being like far left socialist and as I educated myself, I found myself moving farther and farther right. away from that. Uh, and like, I don't consider myself on the spectrum. Yep. But like now I'm really fascinated with a, a lot of what someone would consider like right wing thinkers. So specifically like Carl Schmidt, he was a Nazi jurist who he wrote uh, explicitly about emergency and state sovereignty theory. Um, okay. In addition to Martin Heidegger, I'm now he's like kind of my main philosophical jibe right now. Um, yep. and he, in my opinion, his whole pursuit of the idea of what being is, is extremely important in our day and age, because like, we're, we're on the cusp of this development of, you know, like we're in totally different world, having this conversation, never yes. having met, only know each other through Twitter. Yep. Now that we can talk about this crazy shit because <laughs> of that connection, and yeah. so, like, this is all a very new and exceptional experience as human beings. Yeah. And specifically, like, what it means as a being today, you know? And so, mm -hmm. as we move into the future where, you know, like, fucking AI and robots and shit are going to be a reality of that, like, what, how, how is that also going to infect us and influence us? And so, I think one of the things that I've gotten from Heidegger is understanding in the concourse of the development of being what happened in the 20th century was a very particular and important rupture in the human experience, because we now got a state that, you know, it was always violent and horrific and genocidal, yep. but it hadn't advanced itself technologically into new methodologies of war that really started with the development of the Gatling gun and really like its first sort of secession of that development gesture and sort of the mechanics of war. Oh, I see I froze. Uh, you still got me? Okay. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yep. And so like its first sort of conclusion was around the development of, of mechanical war, which I think like the, mm. the tank sort of represented that the conclusion of that, that first portion that also sort of ended with World War II. Yep. Or were, I'm sorry, ended with World War One, And then the interwar period in World War II was then about the entire conversion of society on a whole towards generalized war economies that captured all human beings within that. That then finalized itself with the Holocaust, you know, the atomic bombs, uh, the development of the computer, which was all only possible through, uh, I, I've been struggling with a, a term for it, but I kind of like to call it hyperstatism. 
Okay. Because like yep. it, it's about the whole of society being geared towards development technologically for war and through war, mm. which mm. is how we got all of the things we have today, yes. which are now having an extreme and substantial affect on what it means to be a human being. And so with me in that entire concourse, the most important development and which is why computers were developed in the first place, which is very interesting, is for cryptography. Yes. You know, and being able to do the development of that. And so the fact that we're now at the far end conclusion where like you and me as like, I don't know about you, but like, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm just sort of mematically creating, you know, private keys and validating them. Like I'm, I, I understand the foundational aspects of the science behind it, but like, I, I can't build you a cryptography library. Like I'm just not yep. going to. I'm just not going to do it, but I understand it pretty well. Right. And so like I can use what at one point in time was the preeminent developed tool of war that the entirety of society was working towards developing for the purpose of war. I can just sort of willingly like fuck around with it now. This is sort of like the refuse of prior generations. Mm. And so this has had a very substantial affect on our being because like, you and I literally with our computers and with cryptography now have access to the most important technologies of war of the previous century. Yes. And like, that, that's just like free and open for us to use now. And yeah. I think that that has a very particular affect on our being specifically now that we live in this world where we've all been captured by the state. And frankly, like uh, I see the inversion of the Hobbesian idea of what the state is and that, the war of all against all has now hypostaticized into like the war of all people against all states. Yeah. Okay. The war of all people against all states. And, and so how does like cryptography and like Bitcoin, like plug into this, like, yeah. Is, is it a solution? Is it like, do you see it as a solution? Yeah. Uh, I see it as probably the most powerful meta tool that we have. And like, we need to use that ability and tooling to pedagogically advance the entire stack of what Bitcoin can offer. And like, like no stars are a great example like that. Mm. That is a protocol development focused on decentralization, freedom and ownership yeah. in a way that's totally horizontal and also isn't, um, it's very interesting because this is similar to how Bitcoin is, is like it, it's like apolitical insofar that the way that the protocol operates, like doesn't have any preference. Yes. But because of the world that we live in, that like non-preference is like the most important preference that there is. Yes. Got it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's yeah. Uh, my most recent article in Bitcoin magazine called The Political is explicitly mm -hmm. about this, about how Bitcoin is like the only thing left that is political. And part of the political because everything else is just politics. It can't create the same sort of radical change that Bitcoin can through people insisting upon it and using it and pushing it forward. Got it. Can you elaborate more on that piece, the last piece that you wrote for Bitcoin Mac, the political? Yeah, the political. Um, so this is a concept that I derived from Carl Schmidt. And, and it's essentially the idea that like, what is supposed to be the political is like the full possibility of what it means when humans can fully engage in their choice about what they their needs and demands are as beings. And our current political systems and structures, specifically republics and democracies, 
like we're told, like, just vote for like the right political party or get your referendum or, or whatever. And like, that's how it's supposed to create change. But it's like bullshit. We all know that it can't actually do. That. And meanwhile, Bitcoin, this not this apolitical thing that is subjective, non-democratic, anybody can choose to use it, is free to exchange with. Turns out that this is the most political thing because of the way that it's not relying on any of these secondary systems. It's not a lot. It's not you don't have to get enough votes or enough people, enough things. It's just about the individual subjective choice to use it and hold it and be committed to it. And so that shows that the secret of politics and what it really is, is actually our own insistence upon what is and is not the law. And so I do an yes. interesting analysis in it as well as uh, uh, from Kafka, there's a, a short story called Before the Law. And it's a parable about a man who's trying to enter into the law, but the guard who's at the door won't let him in. And the guy spends yeah. his whole life trying to do it. And so what I what I say in the end is, is that like it turns out that like the the guard gives us a hint at the end by saying, you know, like I'm going to close this door now because it was meant only. Is that the door of law is really something that only we can enter into. It can't be given to us by anybody else or any authority figure like the policeman. It has to be something that we choose to implement ourselves. And that's really what Bitcoin is and it's private key. And that's that's explicitly why it is a private key. Like it's only a private key if it's your private key and you're the only one that knows that. The moment that I know it, it's no it's longer a private key and that door is no longer open to you. Mm. And that's why the pedagogical and the approach of everybody having the self-ownership is the most important aspect of what's going on here. Because through that, there's a new sort of collectivism that we engage in that literally creates the new commonwealth that is Bitcoin. Yep. Mm. And I was just thinking like from a someone that's a, that's a no-coiner or someone that has not really gotten wrapped their heads around private keys and public keys, can you like, yeah, how would you approach that? Like, how do you explain that to them? Uh, in all honesty, I wouldn't. Like, okay. if they if they really wanted to know about it, I'd give yeah. them good references and resources. But like, mm -hmm. I'm uh, you can't summarize. like I'll ja yeah. yeah, I'll jabber at people about Bitcoin at this point in time. But like, I'm totally over the salesman thing. You yeah. know, like like yeah. I tell people, I'm like, look, like Bitcoin's probably the most important thing that's going on in the world today. And I'd love to share more with you about it, but like you, you really should read up more on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm always fucking fascinated at how often, uh, like I just, not to be uh, belittling in any way, but like I just get very NPC-ish responses that like it, it's clear to them that they can't think about it as anything other than like a, a finance thing, and and like almost always the answer is like. Oh, like, I don't, I don't like get that money stuff. And like, I'll be kind of heavy handed with them too. I'm like, Oh, that's really too bad. You like, you understand that like money is the way that like, we're all really oppressed, you know? I'm like, that's, that's why the world is the way it is, you know? Yeah. Um, but that doesn't work well. So I probably should stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Uh, from your point of view, like, like what's the biggest threat to Bitcoin? that we could possibly come across today or sometime in the future? Um, at this point, you know, I didn't think this a while ago, but I do think uh, 
I do think there can be enough infighting in the community that, and, and a loss of solidarity that uh, like a number of, of like pretty nasty forks could happen. Um, okay. With that being said, like there has been very strong, consistent dialogue about what defines what Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to like the availability, like the continuous availability at this point for ossification. Um, so like it, you know, that is a pretty big threat. Uh, and second after it, um, it's probably various methodologies of not just regulatory capture, but like it, it's going to be this entire linear system of capture that is, is going to be very explicitly designed and coordinated and collaborated between governments to essentially try to punish Bitcoiners now and, and essentially like try to KYC everything and through that essentially taint all Bitcoins in such a way to then integrate them into the contemporary financial system. Got it. Yep. Yep. And now speaking of nasty fights, uh, what are your thoughts on encrypt? Sorry, not encryptions, but uh, I'm forgetting the term, but ordinals and, uh, Oh yeah, yeah. NFTs I knew this question would come up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I don't, I don't see it as a problem. Like right. I think this actually ultimately fixes the fee markets. Um, mm. you know, like I. It's funny because, like, I think I'm probably going to write an essay about this. Is mm-hmm. uh, like I, I want to be very clear. Like, yeah, like pretty much all in, NFTs are like cringy as fuck yeah. and are associated with, with like the most vile and thoughtless movement of just wanting to make money. Um, with that being said, there's probably like, I don't want to say there probably there is a very small subset of real artists in there doing really cool and interesting things. Um, in addition to that, like I've always really liked Buyan's idea that like Bitcoin is just a messaging system ultimately. And like this, this literally is vandalism, like on top of that messaging system yeah. uh and i i love graffiti art you know so like uh i appreciate that corollary and it and it makes me appreciate it all the more um but yeah at the end of the day like if this is something that helps fee markets i say let's keep an eye on it um right. it seems to me that this has essentially created a, a, a new block space market uh which i do think can have value um but the other is, is like if it turns out that like this creates a shit ton of bloat um and it doesn't hold the value or ideas or concepts that we want there's no reason why we can't start working towards a soft fork and creating the dialogue of why it's necessary you know um and ultimately at this point in time like it's operating as it is as a library um you know like people are using it in an unintended way and ultimately, like this was going to come up at some point in time, and so like I don't, I, yeah, I I don't personally see this as problematic. In addition to like you know, people have been putting stuff in the blockchain for a long time. You know, like I remember when, uh, I think it was all of the salted hashes of the Wikipedia's files were put onto the blockchain. You know, and so like I, I think as we continue to develop, there's going to be more and more and many different use cases for Bitcoin. And I think pretty much every time there's going to be contention, which I think is great because we need to have open and active discussions. Um, yep. And I do think stuff gets a little too fiery and hostile, but I think that's also sort of our character types. And yes. I think that 
it's not it's not designed to be offensive even though it generally takes that form right uh i think it's in a lot of ways it's very much just sort of the plebeian nature of like how discussions are really had and it's like with tension and difficulty and sometimes insults and other things yes yes but yeah uh, i've been trying to wrap my head around so what exactly is this process of ordinals of having nfts on bitcoin like do you know like on from a not a tech side but like yeah if you put it in layman's terms i guess like, yeah a little bit so like uh, ordinal theory itself is more or less that like each satoshi as they're created in new blocks there are a number of sort of numerical orderings that always sort of operates as an identifier you know so like got it this these satoshis came from this block that was from this coinbase or from this transaction and like this is how it came into circulation and we can identify that specific satoshi because of how it was created yep and now with identifying that specific satoshi you can create a transaction that's using uh op return which was you know was something that was integrated with the new taproot script and st- and usually like real data that's useful for you know verifying a signature or whatever else like goes into that what's happening now is uh, you know the way that ordinals work is that now you're saying on that you know false return so like it's not going to actually do that and you can like actually just like shove information in there now and that like okay. in that information that's getting shoved in because these are part of the witness structures like you can yes. you can put up to like 3 megabytes of information in there which is oh, like yes. not a normal thing and usually people would be like like fuck off with like all this bloat like i'm not interested yes. in it yeah but like jack up the fees a whole bunch and they're like oh well hang on like uh you want to like cram a bunch of garbage into that that block for $2000? Uh yeah. Yeah, like why not? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so if I'm getting this right you, you can so it's so an NFT or an a JPEG can be uploaded to a block in or to or to a set of like to a block in particular or into that into per sat so not I, i doubt it's per sat so into a particular block right well yeah in the transaction that's created that's then embedded actually as data in the block itself okay uh, it's in the witness data so it, but it's still part of the understood. block understood right 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 so one block could have multiple nfts or jpegs rather. yeah 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 right 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 based you know, on that, the number of transactions part... yeah 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 got it understood yeah and that's part of what's been going going on you know yes. and and uh yeah it's in, i'm interested i'm interested to see how this dialogue goes you know like yeah, I, i'm tenuously for it at this point in time because you know like it it seems to me like it's a good thing that we're getting fee increases in order to sort of solve the security budget thing long term yeah uh, and again i want to emphasize most nfts and the way that this whole thing has been done is cringy as absolute fuck But with yep. that being said, like I don't want to stomp on the ability for real artists to use it as meaningful things or in other events where individuals are using it for political or otherwise purposes, you know? And so like I'm intrigued to see where that goes ultimately, and I feel if it becomes abused too thoroughly or if other various problems comes out about it that we can have the ability to have a social discussion to create either 
forks that can be implemented to deal with it or however else it's going to be handled. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. Now, and I also just want to say, I fucking hate that. Like, this is what, uh, like, like normies are like hung up on. Like, well, like you can like put this on the blockchain now. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't see like why sound money isn't like a great thing, but (laughs) fucking art on the blockchain, I guess. Uh, yeah, the switch gear. I mean, not switch gears, but like to take it back to the founder of Bitcoin. Uh, what do you think? Like, who? Wh- what was his original, her, his or hers original intentions, or the or a group of people even? But like, what was their intention? Did they know that they're going to be creating something so profound? Or, uh, I mean, like, it's always fun to speculate like this. Um, I always insist that Satoshi is actually from the future. And that like the reason that Bitcoin uses energy efficiently is that like they discovered how to like use energy efficiently in the future. Like everything was already doomed and fucked. So they like essentially like made a black hole to like send information back in time. And like that's that's why it's all information. But um I don't know. Like the this is sort of the fun legendary part. And I guess I guess like if I just get to kind of contribute to that, like I think that they had a divine revelation that told them to, you know, like make this tool that will like free all of humanity for like the task and glory that like is the liberation of humanity. Yeah. And this person like listened to the crazy voice and did it. Yeah. Uh, and when they realized that the CIA was finally looking at it, they were like, Oh, I'm like, I'm going way too far over my head. And I think whoever Satoshi was like burned everything that connected to it and like moved on. Mm-hmm. And, I'm not sure whether it was you that I heard saying this or must have been someone else as well. But I think there was a conversation on the lines of like, like the the future, like 200 to 500 years in the future, similar to like speculations of who, like similar to the Bible speculations of who Jesus was, like it was like 200 and 200 years in the future, there were people speculating on this character of who Jesus was. And you think that's going to happen again with Satoshi? Like, people in the future are going oh to try. for sure yeah oh yeah i mean like this all becomes like a deeply religious movement at some point in time and like like it seems sort of absurd and slapstick to us because we're close enough to it that it seems that way mm. but i think like when we get 80 years out and it turns out that like you know a bunch of bitcoiners like had a bunch of kids and like fled from you know like various dystopian uh totalitarian governments mm. and that like they're like it's gonna be really interesting what happens when our kids are our age and they're adults and you know like they they've learned about all of this since growing up you know yeah. like I uh you know like it's gonna be super interesting when my kids like a teenager and like you know learning about a history class and being like what are you talking about you know like <laughs> then going off on the handle about you know MK Ultra or something um, yeah but yeah yeah you know like I. I think that's the other thing is, is what's going on is so large and profound and important that like, a, like no matter how many steps back you take, uh, like it maintains that. And uh, through sort of the work that I'm doing around uh, Heidegger right now, like I, I believe that this is philosophically what Heidegger calls the event, which is like the final break of Western philosophy from its end that was initiated by Nietzsche. Yes. And the beginning of essentially a new beginning, which is really the oldest beginning that there is, 
which is about like reuniting towards like the truth that is nature yep. and the fundamental mystery that it'll always be able to hold. Yep. Now Nietzsche makes a case for like God is dead. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he's most famous for. Yes. And then the idea of nihilism comes out yes. from that. Yes. So And it's usually misunderstood because like Nietzsche mm-hmm. himself, he wasn't he wasn't talking about God is dead in like this complete negative context of he's just muted and now it's just like a complete wacky moralist world. But it, because of the way he's been so misinterpreted, like that's more or less how we think of a lot of his teachings at this point. So so what do you think he was implying then? So that because of the development of both science and technology that we had now robbed God of, you know, his magical abilities. It was very much, you know, the the magician having all of his tricks told. And so like now now he's no longer a magician, he's just a guy pulling off tricks. Right. You know, and like that 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 was a very important development because also once that was initiated, all of the other things that were forbidden or taboo were off the table and could be pursued through, you know, developmentally, you know, and we're, you know, we're a good 80 years after the fact of sort of the, uh, like the conquest of this nihilistic worldview and its ramifications, you know, and like it turns out like, we have some really cool technology, but like when I generally talk to people about their spiritual well-being, like people mm. are suffering more than I've had, well here in the West specifically, but um, you know, like like people's souls are like suffering, and yes. like this technology and life form doesn't seem to nourish that in any meaningful way. Mm. Mm. And. Uh... So does it come back to like Satoshi being like the new trickster or the jester and the magician by creating Bitcoin? Does it somehow tie? Yeah, Yeah, like I, you know, I like to talk about how, uh, like, I think Satoshi is the greatest artist who ever lived because like like his full palette that he was working with was like the world itself and our existence in it. You know, like he... He's like a performance artist who didn't limit himself to the theater of the stage, but to like the whole of the world, you know, and specifically with the development of the Internet. Like now the Internet gets to become the stage in which the performances take place in it. You know, and I think the fact that he was smart enough to do everything in the way that he did it is part of that performance, you know, and and finally and ultimately like the fact that he is an artist who is known for this singular task that he did and its creation and, you know, didn't spend any of his Bitcoin and disappeared and left it at that little move he made was so perfect. Yeah. And, you know, like even all of his writings and stuff, like it, it, to me, it all seems so thoughtful and graceful that like, I, I have to believe that like that, that's yeah. who and how he developed and at the end of the day like it it actually doesn't matter you know and mm. like that's sort of the most most powerful and important thing it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter who satoshi nakamoto is it matters that bitcoin works without us needing to trust anyone right including right. satoshi yes yes i mean yeah 
last night we, I was talking to a mutual friend, Izzy, and he was saying the say, something on the same lines, like if Satoshi had to come back today, like it didn't really matter, right? Like if he is to say, okay, I, like I'm the guy. So it, it doesn't really change anything, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that would change would be if he moved his fortune, you know, yes. and was like, here, I'm giving this to a government or somebody else. But mm-hmm. I mean, like the, the other funny thing is, is, you know, characters like that piece of shit, Craig Wright, uh, like they really help highlight and show how important it is to, you know, really cryptographically prove whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is. Mm. And it's wonderful that like, because of this sort of garbage, even if somebody was Satoshi Nakamoto and popped up and like had plenty of tertiary proof of it, but like couldn't sign, nobody would believe it. Right. And like, that's how it should be. Yep. And so like, I really hope that, you know, Satoshi was obviously like a pretty thoughtful individual. Mm. And so like, I honestly think when he started mining Bitcoin and actually finding him, like, I think he intentionally destroyed the private keys and was like, that's that. Got it. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and uh, yeah, speaking of easy, like he, easy mentioned that you guys had like some profound conversations, I think back last year, uh, I mean, yeah. Was it last year? Yeah. Last year and Bitcoin. Yeah. 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 You want to, any anything that pops in mind, like from chatting with him? Um, you know, I, he he told me about some of the concepts that he had encountered in India that had really affected and influenced his thinking around Bitcoin. Uh, I forget the the exact words that he used, but you know, it's uh, it like it was great just because I've experienced this more and more as I meet. Bitcoiners and like Bitcoiners are always cool and great people, but like yeah. amongst you know the hundreds or thousands that I encounter, there's definitely people in there that have a particular light inside of them, you know. And like I'm, I'm bombastic enough to tell them, you know, like I, like I see the light of God in you. Like He has said something particular and special to you that like you have to go out into the world and share, right. and like that's the most important and profound thing that I see repeatedly in Bitcoin is that, you know, like that's why characters from all walks of life come up here because like, it turns Mm -hmm. out that like the permaculture farmer guy needs to write and talk about the relationship between, you know, long-term thinking and how Bitcoin affects that. You know, the guy who has a background in Maori culture needs to talk about the oppression of his people and the importance of them utilizing bitcoin to liberate themselves from you know their white oppressors you know Mm. it it, Mm. the list goes on and on you know even to to very small things you know where you know it's uh a housewife in saudi arabia like learns about what bitcoin is and she can see herself from you know an abusive and tyrannical husband and like the stories go on and on and on and on and to me like the like this is the this is real magic that's happening here is that like people are having profound and deep spiritual awakenings because of this technology, you know, like it's, Mm. it's like pretty ludicrous, but like once you really start to realize like, it's not about technology at all. It's about using the machine in this age of complete darkness and nihilism to compute a truth that's more important and powerful than any of the lies that we experience out there. And it's like each time you do that computation mm. and it doesn't lie to you, like it gets more and more powerful and more and more important because 
you know, and like, this was the thing that triggered me when I was on that, that psychedelic trip was like realizing that Bitcoin maintains its oath to its supply schedule. And like you own your Bitcoin and I own my Bitcoin. And there is no exception to that whatsoever. There's no government, no legal form, nothing that can yep. get that from you except for those 12 words that make the private key. Right. Right. And yeah, I just I remember saying the 12 words that meant, I remember you going on a lovely rant, which is cut into a sh uh, short clip regarding the, regarding governments. And now they, now that we have fuck you money and we have like these 12 words. Do you remember that one? It's, I think you're frozen. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I dropped out. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm about, the, my Starlink drops yeah like a like that every so often so sorry about that but you no. stopped at i think you were talking about my 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 rant from my last hold hang uh pretty much pretty much saying you, you know like now i have 12 magical words and like if i don't give them to you like like you're fucked so like go fuck yourself yeah 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 that's right all right for someone that's listening and they have no idea well what's cbdc's and like yeah and where where does that take us uh, I mean, like, that's one of the key tools that they're going to be using in creating the global panopticon. And so CBDCs are central bank digital currencies. And, you know, these are very similar to the dollars in your bank account. The big difference is, is because it's using blockchain technology. When you send those dollars somewhere else, all of that information is readily and openly tracked. And furthermore, because this is this is issued by the government directly to you. You know, if you do something like drive too far in a single month, they can say, oh, you're, you know, you're at your thousand mile a month quota. Like you're not allowed to drive anymore. Yeah. And now your bank card doesn't work. Or maybe you just, maybe it just doesn't buy gas anymore, but it works everywhere else. But now there's a much more powerful and granular level of control that can be exerted over everyone. Uh, and that's very dangerous because like that's going to be linked up with stuff like vaccine passports, uh, access mm -hmm. to public facilities, flights. Uh, it's probably going to have to do with your credit score, what uh, interest rates are going to be offered, you know, across oh, wow. the board. It's yep. about, mm. yeah. And I mean, like, it's just going to keep getting more and more powerful and sophisticated. You know, and all of that information will be aggregated and sold by the government to private companies to like sell you other shit, um, you know, whatever it is. You know, like I, I can imagine that like you're given psychiatric medication to like keep you like calm and docile and like if you're not taking it every day like they cut off your bank card you know like there's mm. there's all sorts of sophisticated methods that can be used around this that's extremely dangerous and people really should resist it and they probably won't because they're probably going to initiate this whole scheme by airdropping everybody thousands of dollars saying we've now launched central bank digital currencies and you get a free one thousand dollars well, yeah why are eggs thirty dollars <laughs> i don't get this <laughs> yeah uh but yeah i'm pretty sure that's what's gonna happen and like uh, I, I had one uh, yeah it slipped me <laughs> after you saying that but uh mm. so you said yeah, I, I completely forgot what I had to say next, but I... You did? Sorry. Sorry, yeah, you roasted no, no, you. No, no, no. That's all right. And, 
but yeah, I mean, they, that's how they're going to push it, right? Like, they'll push it by making it like, oh, okay, this is here's some free money and here's your CBDC. And then slowly they'll start amping up the heat, I guess, to it. Like, okay, now you can't do this. Or based on based on your score, you, you can't book your Uber or whatever it is, right? And, yeah, and I mean, like, you know, some I'm, state of emergency, like, you know, Johnny crazy guy bought a bunch of meat that he beat people with. So like can't buy more than 10 pounds of meat at a time or some bullshit. You know, like it's always predicated on this emergency and there's like some reason that we have to do that. And then there'll be a big media campaign, you know, Mm. like it'll be the pandemic, but for like everything else. Wow. Yep. Yep. And uh, and this would be like, and this is going to be per region wise. So it'll be like a CBDC in the States, a CBDC in Australia, a CBDC in India, a CBDC there, right? So, would yeah, be- it'll probably start that way. And they'll probably start to coalesce more and more into, you know, uh, East Asia and Oceania and, you know, like right, right, 1984 right. style. Got it. You think there would be small, po- there would exist small pockets where like people could escape to? Like something that the sovereign individual was sort of indicating, where there'll be like these other states. I mean, uh, likely, you know, yeah. like it's uh, it, it's hard to tell because one of the things is is that like, even though there've always been those pockets throughout human history, like there, you know, mm. there hasn't been satellite technology that can like look at every square inch of the Earth in human history too. So yeah. Um, I do think that there's definitely going to be pockets that are going to survive. Um, that. um, also just. But at the yeah. end of the day, like, yeah, to me, like, this is all the beginning of, uh, probably a pretty dark time. Yep. Yep. And, uh, speaking of dark times, like, what do you think? So uh, in Hinduism, they they speak about the the four stages that goes through four cycles. Kali Yuga, yeah. The Kali Yuga, yes, yes, and and it's and it's been said that we are in this Kali Yuga stage. What what you think so as well? I I do think so. I think we're uh, I think like what we're going through is actually going to be like that. Uh, like we're going to go through the absolute darkest and when it starts to like swing back into the light and like, that's right. what, that's what Bitcoin is. That's what no star like that. That's what these very, very immature beginning aspects are, you know? And so yeah. like, I think we're probably like three generations removed from like the yoke really getting thrown off and probably like six generations removed from what this that. new. Yeah, exactly. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah. So, we're not probably, we are not going to see a hyper Bitcoinized world in our time. I I don't want to discount it, you know, because, yeah. like, on the other hand, like, I also think, uh, you know, like, I'm I'm not familiar with Hinduism. Like, I, I approach it more from a Christian standpoint. So, like, I think we're going to go through the end of days just because, like, now we're actually talking about the fundamental being of what it means to be human being. And, like, I, I honestly think, like, the options are, like, become free liberated humans again or become like transhuman gimp like those are the options you know and like 
we we will become these like emaciated, unhealthy, drugged up, gentle, uh, like androgynous individuals that like can't resist in like any meaningful way because like the panopticon is staring directly mm. at us, analyzing every single movement that we make. Yeah. You know, and if there's a hint of aggression in you, they're like, let's let's like down his testosterone a bit and like make sure that like his uh like let's jack the cortisol up a bit and uh you know for fun let's just uh like 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 throw in a couple other chemicals or something let's just yeah, confuse yeah. it a little yeah. uh you know and <laughs> this is all super dark i hope i'm totally wrong um yeah yeah and but, like the, the, the one thing i have a hope about that is is that like uh I think the apparatus is much dumber than I give it credit for. So like, I, I'm hoping that like something really stupid's going to happen. That's going to like make everything fall apart, which is like pretty likely considering how the right. world operates. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, speak that yeah, speaking of dr like drugging the, like an entire populace is like something that Huxley proposed in brave new Huxley, right. In brave new world. You, mm -hmm. you can come across, well, that yeah. was kind of the whole concept in Brave New World was that like everybody was always on Soma and chasing after Soma, and like yeah. it. We're definitely going to get one version of that, you know, and we're mm. already seeing that, and that's one of the things that, uh, like the legalization of psychedelics, I think is like interesting. But I'm I'm a huge proponent of decriminalization, not legalization, because to me, legalization becomes a methodology that it gets capped. If frozen not to be using sorry oh, if, yeah you were saying legalization but not uh, yes you froze this so legalization i i legalization is interesting but i'm a much bigger fan of decriminalization just because mm -hmm. i one is is that like all pretty much all these substances can be found out in nature through yep. forging and gathering on your own mm -hmm. but through legalization uh a lot of it's being captured and i think ultimately they're going to try to create some modified version of a psychedelic that's really it's really about not giving you a spiritual experience but like giving you some tertiary experience that they call spiritual that you believe is spiritual that's really just about like making you more content and yeah. willing to like work on your project you know and like like go back to being like a happy lemming yeah. I'm like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I'm interested in giving LSD, people LSD, like, fuck up their life. And not, yes. like, in a bad way, but more of, like, their ego has been destroyed. And they're like, right. I'm not the person I thought I was. And I'm not in alignment with that. And I need to reintegrate. And as they reintegrate, they, like, discover the new person who they're meant to be that yes. has, like, deep, more depth and happiness and all that good stuff. Yep, yep. And uh, you, you think uh, psychedelics had any role throughout, like, like throughout history throughout like religion and, and like there's a case for was it moses i'm not sure by the fire like this who had seen the fire where it was actually a dmt sort of experience and there's sorry i i, I froze up again you're, you're, you're it was at the beginning of your question i'm sorry i'm i'm not sure i think it's just windy outside so. okay now nah, so i was saying so you think uh psychedelics played a role like in history previously as well like and uh oh for sure and, and in like and it's part of a religious book but you just lost tra track of it like it's been like like religious books have been hijacked 
like through yeah, translation. I mean, we, we never lost track of it. Like it was very intentionally taken away from us because yes. people like this shit is way too fucking powerful to give to normies. Like right. let's keep it in like small cult groups that like we can keep like a good hand on. Hmm. Um yeah, and like I, I think pretty much all mystical experiences and writings usually have a relationship towards psychedelics. It's just because like we didn't live in in uh the word I want. Uh the the way that we're like so alienated from the idea of spirituality and uh like divine intervention and these sort of things it seems very natural to me that like the psychedelic experience wouldn't be really spoken towards as like taking this particular substance to like get this affect but it would be part of like a much bigger ritual integrating all kinds of things which is very similar to the eucharist and other practices that there have been throughout human history um in addition to like it's like i don't know like it's just fucking obvious to me. <laughs> like, yeah yeah like you you have an ego destruction experience you like go to the nothingness it's like transcendental and warm and fuzzy and all these great things that like very much reflect towards previous mystical experiences yeah um yeah and i think it, it's uh, i'm i I always feel sad when I meet people and you're like, Hey, like, do, would, do you want to try it? And they're like, Ooh, like, no, like that's like, <laughs> I'm like, not, you know, I'm like, I don't want to be judgy. It's just, I'm like, Oh, like the, the Western scientific, you know, flat life in my opinion, like have convinced you that it's right. You know? And that like, yes, like you could lose your mind doing <laughs> stuff. And like, you know, really unfortunate because like it's way safer than you like getting pretty drunk you know so yeah yeah i agree yeah yeah i mean i had a interesting conversation with fractal and like yeah he was telling me about his long yeah <laughs> his long <experience. laughs> like, like how the fuck does somebody do that much lsd like that's incredible i i, yeah. I look forward to, to to meeting him at some point in time because yeah. yeah i want to pick his brain about that that's yeah that blows my mind, you know, like yeah. I've uh, like 250 is the max that I've ever yeah. done. So so doing more than that seems madness yeah. to me. And he has like one of the one of the vials that was from uh, uh, who wrote one fly, one flies over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, uh, Ken Kelsey. Ken Kelsey. So he has one of the vials from them as like a collection piece. It was gifted to him and stuff like that. That's badass. Yeah, That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what are you currently working on and uh, what's the plan like in the next few months or the next few years? Like, Well, I've, I've had a lot of personal shit going on, so mostly that's what's going on for the next while. But uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty much at the end of finishing my compilation and working with Bitcoin Magazine to publish that. Uh, nice. And for me, like this is sort of my foundation of work that explains sort of how I to where I'm at. And now I'm really working pretty deeply uh, through many of Heidegger's pieces of work and sort of trying to integrate his work into my own. Because ultimately, like, I think what Bitcoin is, is the event in human history, where like logic finally comes to its conclusion of, you know, essentially ruling over the future of humanity. And it happens to be doing it through Bitcoin because the way that it gathers together these most important things that create what money is. 
uh, and doing sort of the deconstruction and analysis of all of those things and specifically almost working through point by point uh, Heidegger's sort of mid-period text, which is called Of Con Contributions to Philosophy, the Event. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like that's what this is and working through Bitcoin, explaining through each part of the of Heidegger's philosophical approach there's a way to essentially explain like what Bitcoin is, is like, first you need to do all of this logical work to understand, you know, the, the economics, the history, uh, the praxology, you know, all of the various steps. And then you need to actually like take, take the position to charge it politically so that you're prepared to take the leap into the nothingness that is, the self-sovereignty of trying to create a new form of politics for a new form of people through a new medium. Uh, and like in that leap into the abyss, we will find a new grounding that will essentially become the foundational order for how we're going to, you know, globally do not just commerce, but really organize ourselves well into yes. the future. Yep. And through that manifestation, it's going to allow for man to come back into contact with the the truth of his being, which we've been estranged from for, for quite a while. And it's only because we've gone so far into the nihilism that is modernity, we will have this triumphant return of being, which really mm. is just the return of truth ruling from its natural place in the order of things. And allowing for cryptography and for the digital means to secure that forever into the future. And with yeah. that, eventually, as generations come to change, the fruition of this will really allow for itself to resonate in such a way that essentially our children or children's children will be like, they literally discovered a new God within cryptography who's like our who's now like our last God and we'll like celebrate our ancestors doing yeah. these new rituals together. that are really cryptographic rituals that yeah. we're doing to create new private keys and exchanges and secure them through a new church. And, you know, the gossip hole that Satoshi gave us of what it means to hold our own private keys. And that I, I love you and I respect you enough that I want you to have Bitcoin and I want you to want yeah. me to have Bitcoin. And as part of our religious practice, we only accept Bitcoin. I only sell my services for Bitcoin. Yeah. How would how dare you insult my family and my home by trying to pay me in fiat money? Like, what do you think I am? A shit coiner? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, they're just like listening to you. It's like, okay, I need to clip this. I need to listen, listen to it again. <laughs> That's brilliant, Eric. Thanks for this. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely, and, man. Yeah, any closing thoughts? Or I mean, <laughs> just brilliant. I mean, but, uh, yeah, um, yeah. These these conversations are really meaningful for me too, just because you know I, I I I always feel a renewed sense of importance and purpose when I get to speak this way, just because. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it reminds me of like what this is all very very real. Um, and like, yeah. I get how out and bombastic this all sounds, but like, it's the truth, you yes. know, and like what it really, and to me, that's why I'm doing the work with Heidegger. Cause to me, like, it is about that transcendental experience of being, 
Mm. returning to its truest and most authentic self because we're now talking about a shared worldview where we have a shared horizon of new possibilities through our work together. But what's most interesting is like our work together is our individual work, you know? And it's like, it's only through my understanding of Bitcoin that like I can validate and verify a transaction of yours and likewise for you. And that allows for us to deepen our bond and connection, you know? And so I think, yeah, watching that develop is really profound, particularly particularly because so many of us come from a background of this deep nihilism where like, you yes. know, everything is so dark and it feels like there's no possibility for humanity. And when we see this, we go, wow, maybe there, maybe there really is a chance for something good to come out of this. Yes, 100%. I mean, yeah, I remember back when I was like, uh, maybe 10 years ago and there's like a uh, seeing, uh, I can't remember. Was it this? Uh, I'm, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. Is it like Zengeist or Zengeist or the there was Zygeist, these guys? Yeah. yeah, watching those as like, ah, oh, there's no hope. There's no hope for us. And then, then coming to like, yeah, finding Bitcoin, and then it's like, oh, there's finally we probably have a fighting chance, right? And yeah, I mean, that gives us like hope to like at least yeah, rather gives value to what you do or like a value in like your day-to-day like you know there's something to look forward for yeah yeah and like um, it's amazing because it's on it's on an individual level you know it's not it's not only do i have something to look forward to but like i have something that i participate in and contribute to that gives me meaning in a way that nothing else had before you know like that's that's so profound and important and it's wonderful that we get to share in it. hundred percent. Yes. Once again, Eric, thanks for your time. And uh, where can people find you? I'll put it all in the show notes, but yeah, if you want to. Well, you can find me on the retarded bird app, but it's getting progressively <laughs> stupider by the moment. So uh, that's just at, at my name, Eric Kaysen, E-R-I-K-C-A-S-O-N at Twitter. Um, I'm on no star as well. You can find me there. And if you want to read some of my, my long essays about bitcoin you can find those at cryptosovereignty.org perfect yeah i'll put put all of that in the show notes as well thanks eric cool well awesome dialogue and uh, i hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day you too sir bye all right be well man thanks guys for tuning in and if you enjoyed the show all i ask is that you share it with one other person and i also recommend that you use podcasting 2.0 apps like breeze or fountain fm I'll link them down below. This will help you earn Bitcoin while you listen and it will also help support the show. Once again, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one.